This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Zupan's, where you're going to find it's it's uh, Cheese Month at Zupan's, and what better than Cheese Month? And where better to source it than Zupan's Market? You can celebrate organ cheese um, with uh, this week's featured creameries, and that would be. Briar Rose, and also just looking at this on their email that we get, Court. Yeah, the, the these uh, cheeses by by George Farm. It's quote unquote by George Farm. Uh, look awesome. They have in jars. They have French onion, fromage blanc. It's all fromage blanc. French picnic, garlic and basil, honey and sea salt, dill, plain with sea salt, and this is from. Um, Farmers Tyson Furman and John Steiger. They're on a mission to create delicious cheese while doing good for the land and animals right here in Southern Oregon. Yeah, I'm looking at this, Chris, and uh, the dill specifically, this uh, dill fromage blanc. Uh, when I lived in France, one of my favorite things to do was get a similar style cheese and, you know, and then you get yourself a fresh uh, baguette or, or, you know, whatever your favorite bread is and just smother it all over the place, and you'd be happy for days. And you can do all of that at Zupan's. You can get the bread there as well. Well, yeah, and you can even get some Bowery bagels. There's a thought. Yep. Put some of that dill uh, fromage blanc on it and some smoked salmon on top of that, and that's going to be pretty good. Mm -hmm. That's from Chef Chris right now. There you go. (laughs) Love that guy. Love that (laughs) Chef Chris. So all sorts of great ways for you to celebrate Oregon Cheese Month. Uh, at your local Zupans, or maybe you should uh, sign up for one of their great events. We've always been talking about these floral design and wine events, Chris, and some of them are sold out. Some of them have not sold out. Yeah, I would think that if you want to do it, just knowing that they sell out is is would make you want to go even more. And there's one September 19th in Burnside, and then you've got also in October, there's a couple to choose from that are still available October 17th in Lake Oswego and October 24th on their West Burnside location. So check those out and also subscribe to their news feed so you know about these before or during or after we tell you about them uh, at zoopans.com. But also everything we just talked about, you can find in their three locations, Ware Court, West Burnside, McAdam and Lake Oswego. Right here it is. Time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Court Johnson from Kink Radio here in Portland. Court, I really appreciate you introducing yourself. But, you know, I've, I've had for so long, I had introduced you too. So I, I kind of missed that. But I, I'm just glad that you're there. Put it that way. Thank you. I, I am glad that I am here as well. Yeah. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've called attention to this before, but we're on year eight yeah. of this. Are we on year eight? We're, we're, we... we're wrapping up no. year eight, about to commence, you know, in just a few short months, year nine. That's incredible. Yeah. So, and speaking of that, I think if you go back a few years, back to like 2015 would be the first time we had Kurt Huffman of Chef's Chef's Table on the podcast. I believe also recently he was episode 263 
which was back in January when he was taking a trip with his daughter. And then 236 would be the episode where the pandemic hit and you can hear Kurt in a panic. The, like it is early on in the pandemic. I think it was late March of 2020. We checked in with Kurt and uh, he wasn't, he was not in a positive mindset and we wouldn't expect him to be at that point. Right. So many restaurants. So chef's table encompasses uh, a bunch of really popular restaurants in Portland uh, from Ox and Lardo and Grasa and St. Jack. I'm not going to mention them all. You can go to the chef's table website and see them all. But recently, and one of the things we touch on in this podcast today that's running today we recorded a couple of days ago um is the acquisition of the tasty franchise from john and renee gorham who uh have left portland and are now operating a they're starting up a new restaurant in bend um i'm gonna hope go i'm gonna go to that uh pop-up this weekend as a matter of fact nice court very nice um so they're there but but kurt um Kurt found uh, an opportunity to uh, buy a restaurant with a great name. And uh, so Tasty is now operating in the, uh, I think it's called Mercado Plaza in Lake Oswego, along with Phil's and Grasa and Lardo and some of the other spots, which is a big move for them to go outside of Portland. Yeah. Um, So we talk about how that acquisition occurred and how quickly it happened. So um, that's interesting. And the fact that it, we, we also talk about where Tasty will be going next. So stay with this interview and you'll hear that. We also get to hear where that Kurt's uh, goal is to move to France in 2023. Uh, I'll leave that open-ended. Again, listen to exactly what that means later uh, in this episode. So it's always good to catch up with Kurt. He is one of the people that um, almost anybody in the restaurant business in Portland has to keep their eye on and see what he's doing because um, because he obviously has his finger on the pulse of uh, the Portland food scene and what's going on and what trends are and what's selling and what's working and what's not working. And yeah, we talk about that. There's a lot coming out of the pandemic. I even recommended to him that uh, it might be a good time now to return to the no tipping policy. And oh, my God, I got slammed on that. Mm. So um, he was pretty emphatic about the fact that that's not going to work and happen. Something I like. I like just not even having to think about it. And uh, it's done. But not going to happen at his restaurants and according to him anywhere else it hasn't worked in this country so um there there was a lot to talk about with kurt including we started off as you'll hear right the beginning of the uh interview we were talking about our dear friend jose chesa who has moved to new york and uh after having to close all of his restaurants and um work through a pandemic with his wife with some pretty severe health problems, which was one of the reasons it caused them to have to move to New York. So this is Jose and Christina from Atawa. Um, We talk about the fact that there's a GoFundMe to help them after all of their possessions in the move got destroyed 
because of the the hurricane in New York. It was in a storage facility. So the GoFundMe campaign, as of right now, when we're talking about it, is doing very well. Um, and that's good because they need it. And you can find it in our show notes. Um, uh, right now, wherever you happen to be looking, if you find the show notes, there'll be a link. And there's also will be a link through the profiles on the food podcast PDX Instagram and also uh, Portland Food Adventures, which is cut off at the V, Portland Food ADV. There's a link there right now. And that would be it's uh, September, what, 16th, Court? The September 16th, that's correct. Right. So that's not going to be up there forever if you're listening to this in the future. But uh, but if you're listening to it the, the week that we recorded this, it's there. Yeah. So, um, so uh, take a listen. We think you'll like uh, hearing what Kurt has to say and what some of his plans are and what he's been through in the last year and how he's coped with it as well. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by... Portland Food Adventures. Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022. To Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteras of Urdaneta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at PortlandFoodAdventures.com Curtis willful cuddly genuine bulldog i think he's really solid he's a mensch he never rests intelligent and empathetic he he's a fiercely loyal man he holds high stock in in his partnerships very connected to portland both my parents still live here i appreciate your uh, you're doing this kurt all right lunch yeah awesome is this, are we doing like video or is it just uh, audio? No, we're just doing audio. So. All right, great. <laughs> no, but I like to be able to see guests and I want to know exactly what they're eating. Oh um, yeah, this is Grasa. It's my go-to now. It's Cacio e Pepe. Uh, um, add pancetta. Very nice. That's the pro move. And it, t- it takes an expert to know to add pancetta. To yes, the- yeah, yeah. That, at some point I can't even remember who was telling me that and I was like, ooh. I would hope it was Rick, although you would think that if he really thought that, it would just be on the menu that way. Yeah, I think that, um, I'm sure that it's like, uh, because Cacio e Pepe is still like our affordable, like we always want to have a single digit pasta. Mm -hmm. I believe it's only nine. Um, And you know, that's a, that's not easy to have a a $9 homemade pasta. So, you know, as soon as you add pancetta, it probably jacks it up to 14 or something. So, right. uh, yes. Yeah, so how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you. I, you know, I'm, it's been the weirdest year ever, and uh, right. but we're we're getting by. We're uh, you know I'm. We can't travel yet. Also, with Jose, it's just such a bummer to see him leave. There's a there's a lot of bummers, and as long as you mention that, I just came across a uh, 
GoFundMe for Jose last night that the uh, that uh, Dirk and Sarah Marshall put out there for Jose. I don't know if you know this, but on the move back there during the, I guess the hurricane, their stuff got all damaged and then it was in storage and was com everything they owned was completely covered in sewage when they got back to New York. So there's a I'm going to put a GoFundMe out there to my people who follow and hopefully on this podcast people will hear yeah. it i'll post it in the show notes here and people can help i know jose is this humble man who would never go out and ask for money but the marshals did it because they landed in new york with nothing after all of the shit they've been through in portland dude yeah so and christina had that kind of really rare there's something having to do with elevation that she needed to be at a lower elevation right which precipitated the whole trip. Right. And he's had these health issues. And yeah, I just, I, I ended up seeing him a few times before he left. Um, you know, we bought some equipment from him. And yeah, I mean, I feel, you know, it's a, that's really a, 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 an example of a chapter in Portland, you know, because I remember meeting him. John Gorham and I met him at Inner Urban and this uh, pretty well to do foodie. Can't remember his name. I think his last name is Richie. Um, in any case, a guy that's a big wine guy locally and a, a big food guy. He introduced us to him at Inner Urban. John and I got a sign saying he was going to come to town, uh, and you know he has all this amazing Spanish background. And and John, of course, had Tor Bravo, which is kind of Portland's preeminent, um, you know, tapas place, and. Yeah, so that's when I first met him and then kept in touch. And then he eventually opened up his own place, you know, without any help. So he's just, they, they were amazing. They, he was one, you know, I had the good fortune um, of getting to know Jose pretty well, uh, traveling with him to Barcelona four times and uh, spending a lot of time with him. So we became pretty friendly. And I will just say this, that... We spoke a lot during the pandemic. He called me uh, just to chat. I think he wanted a friend, an ear. And, right. But, you know, he never complained. He would, just, he would just be positive about what was happening. Even when he was moving to New York, he didn't want to get into the details. He didn't want to gripe. He was just moving to New York and pointed out one big positive to doing that. Of course, he hated leaving Portland, but was that he'd now be a... Um, direct flight to Barcelona away from his parents as his parents were right. getting older. So that was one of the positives and he pointed that out and he talked about Christina but never really wanted to get too specific. He never, he's the kind of guy who doesn't want pity, he doesn't want charity and so uh, that's why I, I asked Dirk last night, is, is Jose okay with this GoFundMe and I think he said Christina had okayed it. So anybody who wants to contribute I think it would be helpful. That's neat. No, I'd love to promote that. Yeah, he's a really he's, neat guy, and I—I I, I mean, it's a yeah, it's a huge loss for the city. Yeah, a lot. There's been a lot of huge losses, and that's a—it's an interesting segue because I have been saying for the longest time that the two real, the huge losses for the city we know are uh, there have been a few, but one is Jose, and the fact that John Gorham is no longer doing business in Portland, I think, is definitely. A hindrance to Portland. Um, no. And then, of course, don't forget the elephant in the room. Andy Rickard literally shut down, you know, what was Portland's most famous restaurant and just 
moved to Thailand. Yeah. I, and they're about to demo the restaurant. They're going to demo it mm, and build a food cart pod. On the old Pak Pak. Yeah, they're going to tear down Pak Pak wow. and the adjacent building and build a 20, um, a 20 uh, cart pod in that location. Or something that just doesn't make sense to us. But then you find out these days, and I was talking to Matt from Matt's Barbecue, that now cart pods are paying fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars each for for rent. You mean, I mean back they're when, paying that to the cart pods, this this yes. the, the carts themselves. Yeah. So a twenty a fifteen cart pod can generate up to thirty thousand dollars a month in rent. That's you know, more so than actually are, probably that's more than Pac Pac. If if Andy had sold it to somebody, would be able to generate. I would imagine. Never. You could never generate thirty thousand dollars a month in rent with that little investment, right? Right. You just tear it down, do some uh, underground plumbing, um, and then you just rent it. I mean, it, you know, the like the the place that's down over by Lardo on um, by Hawthorne, the Asylum. Mm -hmm. They also have twenty. Uh, carts there, and apparently those guys pay two grand each. I remember um, when pods were when I believe the rent was around five hundred or even up to a thousand for a, a well, cart. I remember help, we were uh, Andy was helping out Nong a lot when she opened over by our second restaurant, Gruner, right in the those Alder that really famous cart pod there where Nong started, and she was paying. You just paid what a parking space was, right? You paid like three forty a month. Wow. Um, and then over time, um, it, it's funny, right? Because we thought, oh, the cart pods are going away because all these buildings are going to go up and it doesn't make sense to only rent them for a parking spot. But then people realize, oh, well, if you build stuff around it like a wall and have some common seating area, you can charge six times that. <laughs> and uh, that's so absurd to me. But in any case, yeah, that's going to, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, Andy... Gorham, I mean, those are really the two titans of Portland, you know, because Jose came in and um, I think was incredibly important to the city, but didn't, you know, had never received like the national acclaim, you know, that those two had. Um, and John, you know, John had seven of the busiest restaurants in the Pacific Northwest. So, I mean, you know, that was that that was a, a thunderous uh, departure. Um, and I just was clearly more attached to Pac Pac because that's where I started. Right. Well, you know, Chef Stable started with with Andy at Pac Pac. Well, they were both tragic and terrible, and you know, had a lot to do with the pandemic. Some of it had to do with um, just some crazy Portland, crazy things yeah. going on in Portland too. And so, um, really sad. I'm going to um, I'm going to jump out to. Uh, John and Renee and Garrett's little pop-up this weekend in Bend. Um, oh, they're doing a pop-up. That's great. Yeah, they're doing a pop-up. And I was going to surprise them, so I don't think they have time to listen to this ahead of time. But right. at any rate, that's my plan because I look forward to that. You know, Garrett Peck, too, when I heard he was moving out uh, of Portland. Oh, so Garrett, Garrett's going to go down there and partner with them? He has partnered with them. Garrett, oh, wow. moved, Garrett moved down, you know, I don't know, quite a while ago. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Garrett is a world-class guy. Right. So. And for those who don't know who Garrett Peck is, and we really haven't, we've gotten a little specific about 
the folks we've been talking about, but Garrett Peck was uh, general manager of all of Vitaly's hotel restaurants. Yep. Um, and so uh, he was a go-to guy in Portland, and he knew his way around, and everybody loved him. And then next thing you know, when those restaurants, when those hotels, those hotel restaurants shut down, uh, I guess Garrett decided to go have a different quality of life. And I understand through the grapevine, I'll talk to him this weekend, that he's just absolutely loving it, doing a project with John and then being able to hike and do all his biking. You know, he's G-Man Cycles. So... Um, oh, really? That's his handle? Yeah. G-Man <laughs> Cycles. So I think, you know, silver linings, and I'm hoping it's a silver lining for Jose. I know I've talked to John Gorham a couple of times since he moved, and they're happy down there. And so, um, you know, I wish them all good things. But one of the things that you did, you haven't sat still. So I, I, it was about 18 months ago when the pandemic first started, you joined us here. Yeah. And if you go back and listen to that, there's no doubt you had a panicky sound in your voice. You were nervous, <laughs> and, and rightly so. Um, but here we are a year and a half later, or a little less than that perhaps, and uh, it's obvious you haven't stood still at all. You've been doing a lot of great things and positive things and positioning yourself really well for when we come out of the pandemic. I, I, I can't just assume that you're not positioned well right this minute, but when we come out of the pandemic, I also, uh, I, you know, I think it's great that you've forayed out. You were almost forced, I don't know if you were forced or you had the foresight before the pandemic, to move outside of Portland to the suburbs. And uh, I'm sure you, uh, you may or may not remember, but I was always, not for that particular reason, but saying, why isn't someone building a nice restaurant out Southwest yeah. way? Or, so it's good to see. Yeah, I think, and it's definitely a trend that's gonna continue, you know, cause we've got, we're uh, tomorrow night actually, uh, September 15th is the soft, soft opening for Oven and Shaker. And that's the sixth restaurant that will open at Mercado Grove. So you have uh, Lardo Grasa that opened um, uh, in May, May, June, and then Phil's, which is our kind of donut, soft serve burger uh, place. Because um, everybody needs a donut slash soft serve burger. Well, all three of them are fantastic. Catherine Ben Minuti is very talented. Uh, we had her on the, um, did you know we had her on the podcast? Yeah. I, think I sent you the link. She She's is, awesome. She is just absolutely great. And talk about someone who's, extremely positive and uplifting yes yeah and then we opened uh saint jack and tasty and then the last one is uh is oven and shaker and then uh beginning of october we're opening loyal legion out in beaverton um over by where breakside is going where um uh a furry is where big's chicken is where um sizzle pie is going so there's a whole interesting thing going in what they're calling old town beaverton mm -hmm. um so and that was just all of that stuff we started pre-pandemic um and then it was all thrown in like i had leases signed in 19 for these things and then march of 20 hit and uh probably similar to the uh the, the disposition i had on at your show 18 months ago i i called the landlords and i said especially like us, I said, there's no way I can raise, you know, four to $5 million to open up six restaurants out there. 
in a pandemic. It's just, we don't even know if restaurants, we don't know. We don't know anything. And so, and I had signed personal guarantees on stuff. So I was, you know, I was really facing um, just a lot of unknowns because I just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and I, the thing I kept trying to remind myself, not just in Lake Oswego, but writ large is, um, is that it's not like we're the only people that are struggling with the pandemic, right? That there's, it's, it's the entire industry. And as an industry, we're very important to landlords. And my hope is that the landlords wouldn't savage us, you know, to kind of get what they could out of us and then plan on the future, but rather they'd have, you know, a healthier perspective in saying, hey, we need to keep these guys healthy and work with them because we want them to pay us rent in the future. Well, that was a better bet for them. And we talked about this then way better bet than than shutting you out and not allowing, you know, giving you anything viable to deal with and going to find somebody else that. Yeah. Yeah. So they had already, you know, they were deep into it. Um, But, you know, they stepped up to the plate and um, ended up being a full financial partner. I mean, they we we figured out all the finances with them. We didn't have to get uh, barely any outside investors. So that was amazing. And then in Beaverton, you know, that project basically was just mothballed for 12 months. And then we got just enough interest uh, probably six or seven months ago to really start it up. And we were able to find the money and do it. So, um, but writ large, it's just, you know, it's still the, 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 it's been versions of panic and versions of crises for 18 months. And um, at the beginning, you know, the crisis was everything was stopped and we didn't know what was happening. And uh, and it's changed that, you know, the, the conditions have changed right now. It's a crisis of um, not really knowing when we're going to get through this or if we're going to get through this completely uh, and staffing um, uh, and uh, and actually having st- it, we're actually pretty busy everywhere that we're open, um, but now on our on my company's side, absorbing all of this new business because we've effectively opened, you know, almost thirty restaurants uh, since you know we started actively opening everybody up probably May you know April May the the ones that have been shuttered. So we're and then all of a sudden the restaurants that we're doing you know the Grasso Lardos that we're doing X are now back up to regular numbers. So we're just absorbing. And that's a good problem, but also a panic, right? Because all of a sudden, suddenly as a management group, we're just, we have, everybody's, we're so buried here because we're just trying to catch up with the businesses that are opening and getting busier and busier and busier. And the labor shortages we've discovered aren't just in the food and beverage industry. You know, we, we've been trying to hire accountants and Every you know in almost all these different industries, uh, the job market is constricted. You know, so it's been. Uh, but you know, you'd rather have a problem with dealing with quick growth um, uh, rather than you know potential death. So uh, that's you know I take that every day. But you know, there's still so many unknowns, and and we have rolled the dice of thinking we're going to come out of this in a in a strong way. You know, industry wide. Uh, so we, we have taken a lot of risks of having all these things happen right out right out of the, you know, coming out of the pandemic. 
And, you know, well, what if there's a relapse or what if we have to shut well, back yeah, down? Yeah, we're not again? really out of it yet. So that's... Yeah, we're not out of it. So we're just, so it's really been 18 months of just continually trying to thread this needle and, um, and hoping that we just kind of manage to, you know, miss all the obstacles. It's kind of like uh, the Millennium Falcon flying through that. Uh, what was the thing that he uh, that Han Solo uh, did in Eleven Parsecs or something like that? Uh, not the one that Brilliant one or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, what it feels like. We're just like just flying fast and dodging and pivoting and 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 you know trying to be strategic and trying to position ourselves in a really strong way uh, when we get out of this, um, but. Yeah, it's been it's really been a horrible eighteen to twenty months. Yeah, but it, it's you say that, but on the outside looking in, you're seeing you know you're you're not as I said before you're not standing still. So the yeah. end result is you've got some new exciting projects going on, and when you figure out right. some of the challenges, like I wonder if the labor shortage is going to uh, that that's going to take care of itself over time now that unemployment has ended right that's got to have an impact on it and then you've got increased food costs i know so yes. you i think your real challenge is and you know this i don't need to tell you but you've got this storm of shit come, coming mm-hmm. at you the labor shortage cost of food and then you've got a customer base that also got slammed that isn't necessarily ready to go out and spend a lot of money eating um, that's the nice thing about Lake Oswego, I believe, that perhaps they were able to absorb it a little easier. So your bet there may pay off. Yeah. Well, and but, you know, the dining public, a, a small percentage of the dining public has kind of forgotten how to behave around other people. Um, and that's been one of the um, most difficult parts about the pandemic is the impact that's made on the relationship between our servers and our and our guests, you know, because it has been regularly adversarial in the last 18 months. Um, and that's been a big bummer, right? Because it just, it creates this tension that we didn't feel as much before. Um, but so you're right, there's just- What kind of, uh, give me an example of how people are acting. Are they, is it a mask problem? Is it a, what? Is, what I, I think it's metastasized into something else. It starts as a mask problem, right? Um, and I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, when we were opening only inside at Lardo, you'd have to come up, knock on the door. Uh, they'd have a, 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 a table set outside the door where they would place orders. And we were really trying to limit to an absolute maximum any kind of engagement between the guests and the servers, right? So they'd open the door, yell the person's name, the people would be waiting there who ordered. We drop it on the table, shut the door, and all the time there would be people that would come up to the door without a mask on, asking a question, and the servers would be like, you know, put your mask on, right, because it's a closed door. Right. And people would get irritated, and and servers would get irritated because they're just like, there's signs everywhere saying ma- mandatory masks, right? And it just creates a tension because, you know, the servers we're dealing with a lot of unknowns. We still are, but back then even more. So they were just irritated that people could be this clueless about their health, right? Like the server's health. Like you're just kind of walking up in a cavalier way without a mask on and and talking and asking questions where there's signs everywhere saying, 
masks required and do not enter and people would try to come in and they'd have to yell at the guests be like don't come in here you know and so it just created a tension that we're not used to having and that's really stayed over and that kind of don't tell me what to do feeling you know this whole don't tread on me vibe that i think is i just saw that on the back of a pickup truck as i was sitting at the post office right that vibe has definitely come up a lot in terms of people that are frustrated about vaccine mandates um, you know, I think that that's shown up in different ways where um, uh, we had a person at St. Jack. Uh, we haven't had ketchup at St. Jack for 11 years. Um, I remember that. Right. We <laughs> don't have ketchup at Ox. Right. We don't have ranch dressing at Elvin and Shaker. We don't. I and mean, there's just certain things, you know, we don't. So certain things that people would like us to have. We just don't have. It's just a choice. Um, but we've never had an issue with it. And the other day, you know, a guy, kind of an entitled guy at St. Jack, just literally lost his mind and started screaming about not being able to get ketchup um, with his fries and was livid to the point of, you know, actually yelling and creating a major distraction and, you know, physically kind of menacing. And and that, that kind of behavior for me is also part of the moment we're in. It's just people kind of have, have lost uh, an ability to just kind of you know, many people have lost an ability just to like be civil. Um, and, and I think it has everything to do with the moment, you know, being cooped up, being frustrated with being cooped up. You finally get out, you finally want to have a good time. There's these restrictions on having a good time, but now it's spilling over into don't tell me what to eat. You know, if I want goddamn ketchup, I'm going to have ketchup. You know, <laughs> So we've had to put in place policies where now the GM is, you know, we're allowing him to go out next door so at St. Jack um, in Northwest, we're, we're next to a killer burger, right? And in Lake Oswego, we're next to Phil's Burgers, and they have, like, pumps there. So if a guy's really going to get violent, we'll go over, get one of those portable ketchup things, pump ketchup into it, bring it back to the gentleman's table and say, sir, we are able to find you some ketchup next door, right? So we can solve the problem, mm-hmm. but come on. I mean, really, we're at a point now where... If somebody feels like they can't have what they want right away, it's like, you know, it's like we're going to get into a fist fight. It's like, wow. So that's. I, I have the um, experience. I've told this story a few times up at uh, Albatross, Eric Bouchard's former place up yeah. in Astoria. Yeah. And he had a great burger. There, were, there, I have a lot of stories to tell about that. But and I ordered the burger and fries and I said, hey, hey, Eric, can I get a little salt? And he just looked at me and said, no salt, folded his arms and walked away. And that was it. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to argue that, but that is just awesome. That's so Oregon right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I'm just telling you. And, I, and honestly, I am an absolute fan of salt, right? Salt should be, you know, because that's just like, it's, it's hard to be perfect, right? Yeah. To, to have that taste. And frankly, Portland cuisine based on other regions cuisine certainly you know french cuisine where you know i was for 10 years we we over season compared to other cultures um and here in portland much more so than other parts of the country right you go to the midwest and it's a much sweeter palate than what we like here we like a very you know savory palate and um uh but i still say look you can you know you can always add salt you can't take it away after you've made something so what's the downside of having salt available and um 
yeah. So, but you know, ketchup is ketchup's a little bit different. It's like you can't have every condiment, right, uh, available to everybody. Well, and, yeah, uh, but I, I could argue. Yeah, you, you could make a logical argument. Say, Kurt, come on, at some point, just have a little ketchup there, so you don't have to have that argument. It's ketchup on a hot, and it's French fries. It's not saying look, I'm going to put ketchup on my on my uh, steak. So. Right. I'm, right. I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just saying yeah. that anybody. And that's, that's, that's a choice with every restaurant, right? Yeah. And it's just like, all right, yeah, we could, but um, we haven't, um, you know. And I remember a woman talking to me about how she took her kid, a Lake Oswego woman, took her kid in uh, to St. Jack, and he got the burger and fries, and he asked for ketchup. And, you know, they said, oh, sorry, we don't have any ketchup. And his brain just exploded. And his mom was like, it's a fancy restaurant. They don't, they don't have ketchup at fancy restaurants. And he's like, oh, okay, well, what do they eat it with? And it's like, they have aioli. He goes, what's aioli? But then the kid discovered aioli, right? And he loved it, right? So it's like, so that's, you know, they're, so yeah, I, but I agree. But at any point, the, the point being, you, you can be miffed. And I, I, don't, I don't like to be preached to by chefs. I don't like chefs to tell me, this is how you're supposed to eat, right? right. That rubs me the wrong way. Um, uh, but also, I'm not going to, you know, threaten a GM with, with violence if I can't get, you know, salt or ketchup. Yeah, you know, it's like there's <laughs> certain behavioral norms that we can all uh, kind of aspire to. <laughs> well, yeah, and you can, as a, as a diner, you can make a decision. Right. Uh, be civil and just say, well, I don't feel like coming back here because I don't yeah. like that. And that's what he announced to everybody. And we were like, good. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, thank goodness. It's like if every time you come back, this is the there's like all these triggers for you, then please don't. You made everybody's meal here terrible tonight. So, uh, yeah. And St. Jack has done just fine without serving ketchup for 11 years. So I you know. know. And I, the reason I say I know that is I had asked for ketchup long in the old mm-hmm. location in southeast Portland. I yeah. went for happy hour and I got the new ketchup. <laughs> and so I ate it without ketchup, which is perfectly fine um it's the st jack way that's the way you that's the way i my mindset is oh that's how they do it at st jack i'll you know when in rome yeah do it that way so hey chris let's pause just a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat ringside steakhouse yeah where they've always had your safety in mind uh of course they have those beautiful updated booths and spent a lot of money on their ventilation system to update it to current standards and beyond. Um, so whether it's their delightful outdoor dining or inside, you can always enjoy ringside hospitality knowing their steps ahead when it comes to safely serving you a fantastic experience. And of course, ringside always satisfies Chris. So if you've got something like, I don't know, A5 Wagyu, maybe that's your thing. You can come and enjoy it at Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, so no matter what the size group, whether you're just going to go dine as a romantic evening with two, some friends and family with four, or if you'd like a setting for a small group gathering, Ringside, of course, can put that together for you too safely. Reservations are super easy to do. You just go to the Open Table app or ringsidesteakhouse.com, make that reservation, or you can actually walk in without a reservation for bar top seating. Yeah, Ringside for over 75 years. 75! And mm-hmm. it's all as the hallmark of great service and steaks in Portland. Do you think, I mean, you had, you had, anybody had some of these problems before the pandemic. They've just been magnified a little 
lately because we're all, I, I'll tell you what, I'm ornery. I've complained personally. I don't give, I'm not, as far as I know, I don't think I've given any restaurant a hard time, but I've certainly whined to my friends about this and that and this. And a lot of it is because I'm just, I just got sick of eating out of boxes. And what I right. really crave is service. And so yeah. my thing, hear me out here for a second. I'm just gonna speak generally. And I understand the restaurant industry has its challenges. However, my feeling a year or so, a year plus into the pandemic was, I'm getting takeout food that costs pretty much more than when I used to sit down in this restaurant. I've got the square being turned around for a 20% tip for someone who's just taking my order. Yeah. And no one's, no one's coming to check on me because I'm taking this either outside or home. No one's cleaning my dishes. At what point, and I realized, you know, I thought about this, this will take care of itself because takeout won't be the thing anymore. Right. Yeah. This is a takeout problem for me and probably for others. But I just, after a while, got really frustrated with, hey, I've got financial problems too, so I'm not real crazy about this $35 entree in a box that is not going to be very good when I get home, as good as no. it would have been if someone just put it on a plate. Does well, I'll tell you a few things. One, uh, everybody hated it. You know, the only people that have thrived in the um, pandemic are pizza places, you know. It's that's like, where you eat it anyway. Yeah, so those guys, uh, those guys have had the best year ever. I mean, because they program their pizzas, they made their, I mean, you know, uh, a pizza shoals, uh, you know, they've never had a better year because they're just literally so efficient. You know, you have a 715 pickup, a 720, they just have, the pizzas are, now it's, a, it's a, an assembly factory, right? It's just rocking these things out but well, it's, it's you know, also that just hold it's also that when it comes to hey what am i going to take out pizza's great is one of the best options yeah it's going to travel pretty well and you know it's going to be good yeah and for us critical that pizza was good you know oven and shaker is a sit-down restaurant our sit-down restaurant suffered way more than our fast casual because they're not set up for delivery Right. And people don't think about St. Jack or Ox for delivery, which is why we really didn't do very much there. Um, but sandwiches, you know, XLB with Chinese food, but pizza with uh, oven and shaker, you know, saved us because people did take it to go. But in any case, writ large, as an industry, we hate we hate ghost kitchens. We hate the idea of never seeing people. You know, we're places that are set up to accommodate people and provide service. Hospitality. Um, if that's what hospitality is. And right. honestly, if this was, you know, people have been talking to me for years about these, you know, ghost kitchen things and deliveries. And I just, I hate the idea of it. You know, we'll do it to survive a pandemic. But if that's where the industry goes, I, you know, I won't be very interested in it. I wouldn't participate because I just don't, you know, that's like starting a beef jerky company or something. You know, you just make stuff and put it somewhere and people you don't know eat it and, I just don't, you know, it, does, it doesn't seem interesting to me. But, um, but I can, to try to give you a perspective on the economics of it, in general, Lardo is down 50% year on year um, with the way we were doing things, right? Um, but our overhead stayed the same. We couldn't cut our labor in half, right? Our labor came down, uh, but not in half. So in general, we were carrying, you know, 65% of our costs 
um, and with only 50% of the business. So the fact that people were willing to pay and tip um, and not get great service actually saved, you know, saved those restaurants during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and had we charged less or, you know, done things differently, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have survived. Um, because the, the, the combo of guests being willing to do what you did, which is to pay really more for what you were getting than you wanted, um, plus federal assistance, you know, that's the only reason we survived. Right. Um, otherwise we would have gone under. So, uh, but I, I am really, really hopeful that we'll never have to do that again. And there came a point about four or five months ago when I ate at, um, a restaurant, I won't say, and there were outdoor seating, right? Cause Peabot here in Portland allowed us to have parklets that we could sit in. And I got a, you know, I got my dish and it was in a, box with all this packaging and, and I sat down and I ate it with plastic forks. And I was like, this is just stupid. Like, why aren't we now at least serving stuff on a plate? I mean, we're here, right? You don't have to, you know, they, they were bringing it out anyways, but now in a bag. And I just felt like, you know, this is, we need to kind of be, we can't stay shell shocked forever, right? We have to remember at some point we're going back to normal and people should be able to have a, a real fork a real plate or a real bowl, right? We have to get back to it. And, but you know, it was, we were dealing with kind of trauma in trauma type environments of just trying to keep things together. And I think for a while lost focus on uh, the guest experience as we were just trying to figure out how the hell to make, make this work and hold on to people. And so, um, yeah, so I, I totally agree that there was a point where and we should have, our group should have done it sooner of making sure that the level of service came back sooner. And to the credit of places like St. Jack or Ox, you know, those places have been absolutely slammed since they reopened outdoors. You know, people were hungry for real service, table service. Um, and, you know, the numbers were unbelievable. Ox has never been busier ever than right now. Well, I'll say this, that it was one, I've been out a few times for nice dining experiences, not a lot. Uh, but Ox was one of them, uh, and um, I could, couldn't enjoy service more than I did. And the food just tasted better because I hadn't been able yes. to have someone bring something warm. It was hot, right? You got to eat hot food hot. That I mean, it changes everything. Nothing soggy. The and crunchy I'm, stuff was still crunchy. <laughs> and on top of it, to be able to say, hey, bring us the, you know, bring us one of these, too. Yeah. At the drop of a hat, instead of having to go wait in line again and do that. Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, what I'll just say, what a beautiful job you did on the outside area at Ox. Well, that thanks. Was just fantastic. So, <laughs> coming out of this, you'll have those benefits. But I realized as I was doing my complaining to my friends that I hope this is going to go away because it's not going to be takeout forever. So I'm not going to have this to complain about. But I, in the beginning, I was perfectly okay with leaving a bigger tip and everything. But there came a point where I said, I think you just alluded to it. There came a point where I said, I'm just, how long does this go on? Because I'm just craving that ox experience. And I went to, we went to St. Jack and sat in the bar too a couple of weeks ago and that was absolutely delightful to order a little something before we were going somewhere else you know do some restaurant hopping again yeah no it's been you know the outdoor seating was a lifesaver 
Uh, the bummer about, you know, the Delta variant right now and the timing is just, you know, this Friday we get rain for, you know, like three days of rain, it looks like, for the first time in a long time. So that's kind of the, the warning shot, right? Uh, my hope is that the Oregon Health Authority's uh, kind of modeling of having the decline start on Labor Day, I hope proves true in the coming weeks that we'll really see a decline. Uh, oh, in, in cases, the, not in the in the in business. Uh, yeah, in, the, in 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 cases, right? In COVID cases. So I, I really hope that that plays out, um, because yeah, come you know September is always has always been a, a slower month for us historically. You know, people go back to school, and we really see a ramp up in October, November, December. But uh, yeah, the prayer is that you know we'll is that we'll be busy again, you know, late September, October. Um, but yeah, it's. It's just, yeah, we're just, you know, we're flying blind and we have been for, for 18 months. I don't think you're flying blind because you're doing a, you're like one of the, you're the captain. If there aren't other captains too, there's co-pilots, but right. I don't think you're flying blind. You're, you're using, you know, you've got some smarts in the business and. Uh, we're flying aggressively. Right. You're flying. Ability. I'm going to say this. <laughs> I don't know anything about your, 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 um, grooming but you still got hair and it's still not all gray so you've made it through how have you learned any uh techniques for yourself to deal with this stress because you've got you've got a lot of children right you got all these restaurants and then you've got your family as well it's not easy yeah i think yeah that it's interesting you mentioned that i um one thing i've realized in this uh is i kind of see my partners um and you know some of them i had an idea of who they were at the beginning of the pandemic and you really see um when we really hit rock bottom you know march april where you just don't know what's going on and some of the biggest anxiety was before the first round of ppp where we were just like how are we going to survive this right and then you know you had different moments where it was terrible um but um you know, I saw partners that are that were just unflappable normally, that were just reduced to just kind of, you know, just look shell shocked and not sure what to do. Um, you know, I saw some that were remained positive and you know and and hopeful, um, but you just realize that it's um, it's just it's just a character question of how well you deal with with stress and anxiety and unknowns. Um, and I don't think that's, I think that's just lucky that those don't render me, um, uh, kind of, um, uh, incapable of, of, of being decisive or making, you know, or just moving forward with things. And that's just, I don't know why it is that way. I just think it's lucky. Um, you know, I have lots of character flaws that are, you know, dramatic in terms of my ability to be organized and, uh, to stay focused or, you know, whatever. But, you know, in, in, in a moment of crisis, um, you know, my, my vision or my focus didn't waver, uh, whereas a lot of, you know, a lot of my partners that did. So th I think that's just lucky um, that it's that way. Is um, that a genetic thing, do you think? Because everybody yeah. handles stress differently and everybody also has different experiences. So, you know, you might have <clears throat> swung the bat in your life uh, so to yep. speak, with the donut on it, <clears throat> yeah. unintended. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, no, I think it may be. I mean, my, you know, I see my mom and, and she's, you know, she's kind of racked with nervousness about this. Um, and, um, you know, I see my dad who's not at all. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's just lucky and a byproduct of probably also having done so many different things for so long uh, in so many different environments, whether it was France or whatever. So I think I just I lucked out in that that way uh, because it doesn't it, it, it ha I have felt throughout this whole thing that that um, I just believed that we were going to be OK. I think that there's a certain amount of delusion in it. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I've always understood that one of my roles as being, you know, a partner and a leader, you know, here in my company or with my partners in general, is that they, they look to me to be positive and to to uh, give them, you know, clear hope about how we're going to get through things. Um, and I understand that to be what I need to be, right? So I don't kind of allow myself, at least when anybody can see, <laughs> to, to have those doubts, you know, because that's that's my role. That's what I'm supposed to be. It's kind of like a parent, you know, you want, you always want to be strong in front of your your kids. And so, you know, it's not a great analogy because they're clearly not my kids, but, you know, you that, that role of needing to say and constantly be there saying, we're gonna get through this, we're good, Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get past this. Blah blah blah. You know, I um, I think that that's I understand that to be one of my most important roles of the last 18 months. And then just by nature, I'm not afraid of risk. You know, and I'm not afraid of failure. So I just kind of would always say to myself, well, if this if I really do go bankrupt, and I and I thought there's a 95% chance of going bankrupt. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, in my you entire said that. you were very frank about that when we yeah. spoke. I thought it was inevitable and my whole goal was just to make sure all of the restaurants were in as good a shape financially as possible and then I would just bankrupt Chef Stable and myself and and hope that you know that they would uh, be able to continue um, but you know so but you know we uh, we seem to have thread the needle on that um, but it's uh, um, yeah, and that so wasn't I don't, just one. That wasn't just one mind you had to step aside. That was a whole minefield that never yeah. stopped. So, oh, and it's still going. Yeah. yeah, it's still going. Yeah. So you know, and we, you know, like, uh, and I know you made an allusion to, you know, uh, you know, uh, with Tasty. You know, that was just, uh, you know, when I, I called John and, uh, or we actually contacted Renee um, uh, about. Uh, about buying the brand when they announced they were leaving. And I was really surprised that uh, they said yes. And I think, uh, so, you know, that was- Was that the first phone call that they said yes? Uh, well, I, I was I was a little bit, I felt awkward about approaching them about it in the moment. Right. So uh, I asked my attorney who, he and I went to high school together um, uh, and uh, just, he was somehow aware of what was going on or in contact with their counsel or something. And I just said, Hey, do you think, could you just ask their attorney if, um, if they'd be willing to sell tasty and, and within minutes she wrote back saying yes. And we made an offer and they said yes immediately. And within like 48 hours we had drafted paperwork and, and finalized it. Um, and so that was, a, uh, you know, that was me, 
I guess that's a good example of me kind of irrationally betting on the future because nothing looked good in that moment. You know, there was no great prospects. Pandemic looked terrible. Um, you know, we were, I think I was down to one staff. You know, we had, when, when the pandemic, pre-pandemic, chef's table, like just chef's table, we were about 65 employees and we were down to one um, wow. at that point. Um, and and where then, are you now? Uh, we're at probably about 65 again. Oh, you're back um, up. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have to be. I mean, we have so many restaurants now. We have more restaurants now than before the pandemic. Right. Um, so, um, you know, so in any case, that was just, that. you know, I just, it just seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up. It's probably, if you stop and think about it in terms of names, other than perhaps Pac Pac um, in Portland, the tasty name was, was, is got a lot of equity. Oh, tons of equity. And I had so much respect for everything that the Gorms built, how the menu was structured, how they were able to be busy from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. I just never seen a restaurant like that. The Tasty and Alder was, was the busiest restaurant per square foot in the Pacific Northwest, as far as I know. Uh, they were just crushed it all the time. And because we have Bistro Agnes across the street, you know, I was aware <laughs> of kind of the lines and everything. And, and just, you know, I'd worked briefly with John uh, um, when we did a, a bar together um, in Urban. And so, you know, I knew kind of his passion and, um, and you know, Tasty was, uh, Tasty had just evolved into this incredibly well-run machine. Um, and I happened to have been working with his executive chef, um, uh, who had left when everything went sideways, um, and uh, a former manager from Tasty, who are now my two partners at Tasty. And so, you know, I just made a quick call to them saying, hey, if this is available, do you guys want to do this with me? And they just said, you know, without even a second, just like, hell yes, that'd be amazing. You know, because it, you know, it closed in circumstances where I think even the staff felt like it was just a, it was just a bummer. So... Um, and now, you know, for instance, Sunday night, out in Lake Oswego, uh, every single former manager of Tasty were on the floor, either as general managers or as servers. So there is a lot of loyalty to the brand, and that's that's very lucky, right? We just we, we lucked out. Um, and and Faye Crosswhite and Mike Kessler are just absolute, you know, workaholics. They are super studs. So um, you know, this none of that would have been possible without them. But that's just lucky, right? That I hear that things are going down. My lawyer has a has a, a connection with them. I happen to already be working with two of their former managers. I call them saying, hey, do you guys want to do this if I can do it? They say yes. And then 72 hours later, it's done, right? And well, that's like, a little, I would, I would say it might be, there might be some luck involved there, but there was more than that. I mean, it was a, you knew what you were doing. So it was an educated guess at the least. So that's good. Do you plan on getting, uh, do you foresee Tasty ever being back in Portland? Yeah. Yeah, we have a, we have a location for it. Um, so we'll be, I think, opening that like February or March. Oh, okay. I got to read more. No, I am, we haven't talked about that to anybody. So it'll, it'll happen February or March, I think. All right. Are you at liberty to say where that is? Not yet. No. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah, it's it's ninety percent certain. You know, but Good. first we need to be successful out in Lake Oswego. 
Um, so the numbers so far have been fantastic. You know, those guys have run really an amazing ship, and um, but we, you know, we still have to have a proof of concept. To do you do know um, if your customer base out at the tasting Lake Oswego is how much of it is Lake Oswego and how much of it are old customers who have to tr now do the reverse? Because you remember I used to bitch about yeah. how I had to go into Portland. Now, now they're coming out the other way and they can park pretty easily. Oh yeah, there's tons of parking out where we are. Um, you know, it's interesting. According to Faye and Mike, it, you know, it, it, the vast majority of them are are Lake Oswego people. You know, Portlanders still don't reverse commute. You know, and we St. Jack, for instance, was very nervous about all the losing business in Northwest because we'd open, and and that hasn't happened at all. You know, St. Jack is busier than it's ever been in Northwest Portland, and St. Jack Lake Grove is doing really well. So, but Tasty is. I hope that, I mean, if you look at a place like Screen Door, right, that opened in the Pearl, that, you know, they're doing amazing business there. Um, you know, my hope is that Tasty, once we reopen in Portland, we'll have that, you know, people will still long for the, the brunches and everything and that we'll, we'll be busy. So, can I place a bet on that? Yeah, you can. <laughs> in, some, yeah. in some manner, in some way, there should be some kind of... Uh, Las Vegas odds going on for things like yeah. that. But the other thing that's kept me sane is just, you know, workouts. Me and my best friend, uh, Leather Stores, we um, started boxing probably nine months ago, ten months ago. And that's been um, that's been instrumental to keeping me sane. We had done boxing a couple years ago together, and finally I found this funny app um, that uh, I bought. Uh, while I was driving actually around the country with my daughter, that was kind of, I felt like a seminal moment. I did a 5,000 mile road trip with my five-year-old and um, and just kind of, you know, to get away for three weeks and think and just see stuff that she'd love. We went to all these wildlife parks <laughs> mm -hmm. um, across the, the, the south of the country and um, kind of between Austin and, um, uh, and Portland because uh, we drove all the way down to Austin via Omaha, Nebraska. And we came back up and in any case, while we were on that trip, I just was reading about different apps. I'd never done an app exercise thing. We found a one called Fight Camp and I do it, we do it every single morning um, for like an hour. Um, and it has such therapeutic help, you know, just punching the hell out of a bag. <laughs> I was going to say, that's what you're getting at. And you're punching you the cardio. You and Leather aren't going at each other. No, no. In fact, the more we do it, I think at the beginning we had these ideas that we would spar at some point. Right. But what's funny is that you do, you know, almost a year now we've been, uh, you know, punching and there's these tutorials. I mean, it's actually incredibly uh, cool and uh, gratifying. But eventually once you, you know, you, you box for an hour a day for you know, almost a year, it's like you learn, you know, like any, like a dance or any kind of physical movement, how to do things properly. And then I know there were times where one day we were both punching together these different combos and we kind of looked at each other and we're like, God, I don't ever want to spar with you. You know, we're kind of said that at the same time because, you know, you just learn how to punch really, really hard. And, you know, when I'm punching the bag, when all the mechanics are working and I'm hitting the bag as hard as I can, I'm like, oh, what a horrible idea to get punched that hard. Like, I don't want... I don't want to punch myself or I don't, and I see leather, how hard he's hitting the bag. I'm like, I sure should don't want to get hit by you. So it's like, no, this, 
the more we do boxing, actually, the less we want to spar because I'm terrified. You know, I don't want to get hit by that. Yeah, no, if I, anybody, especially if I, I've looked at leather. Boxing is not one of the things that if you gave me a list of things to do with leather, <laughs> it wouldn't be boxing. No. Uh, so, so, but uh, that's been critical. I mean, I, you know, you got to, because the first four months, you know, I just, I was too stressed out. Um, I, you know, I drank too much. I just would, you know, try to keep it together all day long, being positive, talking, reassuring my partners. Um, my wife was freaked out at home. So, you know, I, it was just not a healthy environment. Um, and we were moving, right? We had to move out of our place in April of last year. So we were living with my mom for about uh, six months while we were trying to finish our house. <laughs> and, you know, so it was just the worst. Yeah, your mom year. is delightful, but you don't, that's a stressful time to be. Oh, with for my mom. wife and my daughter to be living yeah. with my mom in my old room. You know, it was just. It, it was, was your old room. Oh, my God. It was such a gong show, right? And, but with COVID, the house was super delayed. We, so, and we were trying to save money because, you know, we were sure we were going to go bankrupt. So, you know, just the stress levels were very high. And, and but, you know, I think since January, I kind of somehow I've kind of figured out how to how to be okay in the in this environment. And well, like you said, it's just you have to you have to keep a super positive attitude and um, and just, you know, try to try to be sure about what you how to act in moments where you don't even know what's happening. Right. Exactly. Well, it's a little Clark Kent Superman, right? You had to be behind there and then open the door and put the cape on and, all right, right. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, are there any people um, inside or outside of the business that, that you generally rely on as sounding boards or someone who helps get you through this? Um, I talk, uh, at the beginning, I talked a lot to Kim Malik uh, from Salt and Straw. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, uh, so she, I wouldn't say a lot, but I mean, kind of at big moments, um, I would uh, contact her right before we shut down our restaurants. I was talking to her at probably 2 a.m. Uh, I think Kim is one of the smartest people uh, in the industry. And so Kim is somebody that uh, I've corresponded with. I talk, I still talk a lot with Andy uh, Ricker. And, you know, he was pretty determined to shut things down. Um, but, you know, Andy was an important influence to me. Um, I still talk a lot with my buddy and partner, John Janelis, who owns Lightning Bar Collective. He's now living in Palm Springs. So, um, you know, it's really interesting to get his perspective on Portland. Uh, I've talked a lot with Erica Palmer, who is now with Independent Restaurant Coalition. Mm -hmm. um, and I still talk probably the most with her because she keeps me abreast of what's happening, you know, uh, what's going on, what different developments are in terms of legislation, potential federal funding, and she provides a really helpful policy perspective to me. Um, and then all my partners, I mean, I'm talking to my partners constantly, you know, um, all of them, because mm -hmm. you know, we're constantly trying to strategize, figure out what's next, figure out where to go, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah. So are, you, are, are you optimistic right now? Are you uh, think we're going to come out of this and you got you're well positioned? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, uh, my my biggest worries right now are, um, I know we'll get staffed again, right? We have gotten staffed back up, but uh, our wages are way higher, um, and I'm not, you know, that's great as long as people are willing to pay the price that it costs to 
uh, for us to survive, right? You, you think it's um, an opportunity once again to try the no tipping? Now, we've no. just had a major event. You, you just don't think that's off the table, no pun intended. It's a terrible idea. The people that have done it have failed uh, every time. Um, I have a close business partner that's doing an auto grat right now. I think it's a fiasco. I told her um, it is a, it's just, it's a guaranteed lose. Uh, anybody that does it, uh, it never works out. If Danny Meyer can't make it work, you know, the best restaurateur in America, what, why would anybody else think they could? I think it's a terrible idea. Um, but, <laughs> I love the idea, but I'm not a restaurateur. So it's, a yeah. I like it from a, I, we just went to, um, Local Ocean Seafoods last week. They're yeah. doing it. They're, and, yeah. you know, they're busy. But, they're busy, uh, but their staff probably hates it. Um, it's a wide open door for owners to keep some of the money instead of uh, having 100% of it go to the staff. Um, mm -hmm. It's a slippery slope in that regard. Um, and, uh, you know, and I just don't, you, there's, there's nothing that you can, it, that it allows you to do as a business that you can't do with letting people keep their tips mm -hmm. and, you know if you if you need to make more money as a business you just need to raise your prices which we have done but I worry that the price you know the what I was trying to say earlier is that the prices that people are paying now worry me because there's there's real inflation in the restaurant world mm -hmm. um, and I'm not positive you know we have $50 steaks on our menu um, and that I see those prices and it makes me very nervous I you know it's what it is now but I just I worry that uh, that there's gonna be a backlash or that people will cut down on the amount they go out to eat um, and so uh, that's the biggest concern if, if, if people if, if we show as a community that everybody's willing to pay those kinds of prices then we're gonna be fine well, like everything, some will and some won't, right? It's, yeah. You can't you can't expect it across the board. And yeah. a, f a $50 steak is a steak. So people who are out, and I'm not going to equate it, but if they're looking for a Mercedes, then they're used to paying for a Mercedes. Yes. And they will. But it's, yeah. I've noticed the burgers are now, you know, I remember when they crossed over the $10 mark, became a $12 burger. And I've said to a few friends, just get ready for consistent 18 to $20 burgers. We yep. see it. Yeah, so, one of our restaurants has a $19 burger and it's the best selling item on the menu. Which and one's that? St. Jack. Yeah, well see, but at St. Jack you can sort you can maybe expect that or you know you're gonna get an excellent burger and the, an awesome, awesome burger, yeah. The but, expectation, you know, you've, got a sh you've got Aaron Barnett behind it or whomever the chef is. But right. I'm talking about the, the you know, the the places that aren't St. Jack that are going to yeah. be. No, I agree. But we're, we're having to raise prices just about everywhere. And it's, you know, and, and so that that's the big thing that makes me worried. I think it's awesome that staff, you know, our kitchen people should be making at the end of all of this with tips 20 to $23 an hour. I think that's great. That's where they should be. Um, and, you know, servers are still making great money. But, you know, you, I just worry. Yes, that's my business. I guess I'm supposed to worry about this stuff. So, but I'm not worried about people wanting to go out. I'm not worried about somehow delivery systems are going to take over everything, and we're going to be in this crappy world of ghost kitchens. People still want to go out. The bars will will be busy again. People like being out and being with people. So I'm not worried about all that. Um, and then, you know, so we'll we'll see. I am I am worried in Portland specifically. I'm worried about. The food scene won't return to what it was until there's tourism back, you know, because right. it was a third to half of our downtown diners. 
and you can't lose that many people and have the same scene that we had. Well, um, but you've got fewer restaurants now too, so you do, you do. So that could come back. I, you know, one of my concerns, and I'm going to bring it up. I hope to have uh, Brooke from Eater on soon. But one of my concerns is we have taken hospitality and turned that into food. So if you look at the Eater 38 list now, right? It's I don't I didn't count, but it seems like it's a dozen food carts. And that's not dining to me. That's not restaurants. That's not hospitality. That's food. Right. And they may be great, but I want to get back to, for me, and I'm older. I realize I'm out of the demo that probably any of your restaurants are looking for now. But I, I, I enjoy the, the experience of being in a restaurant and having a great server and back and forth. And um, that, to me, is dining. I'll give up a little quality in food for that, being able to sit down yeah, and I, myself in a comfortable seat. I totally, I totally agree with you. And I think that they're, it's just, they're not the same thing, right? It's like selecting the best um, brew pubs, right? Well, you know, you can't, it's not fair to take a brew pub uh, and compare it to a sit down restaurant. You know, they're just, we're gonna have a better food experience at the sit down restaurant. Um, you know, so a brew pub should be judged on things like, you know, the beer selection and, and blah, 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 but it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be judged in the same way that a restaurant is, and food carts are just different. You know, you should have a list of the best food carts in Portland. If people want to go to a food cart, they should go to that, but when people want to go to a restaurant, there should be a list for restaurants, right? They're just not the same thing, and it's not a good or bad thing. It's just not the same thing. You know, you go and sit down, and it's okay to have fast casual versus sit-down restaurants be on the list at least it's in the same family of things you go to a place you order you sit down you have a meal you converse right um food carts aren't that way um and food carts are awesome but they're just they're just not the same thing right right the well, winery is not the same thing you know i just like, think there's been a blurring that's all and i've noticed yeah. that and i hope we get we unblur as we come out of this yeah i agree and i think for eater probably it's because you know, there hasn't, there's been so much more going on in the food cart scene uh, because look, 90% of food writing is about, isn't about food, right? It's about what's new. So these lists always have to maintain this what's new filter. It doesn't matter what's good, right? That's never been a part of the food writing scene in Portland. It's always about what's new. What's new is always more important than what's good. And people that don't understand that just haven't been paying attention. Um, you know, it's always about identifying the new movers, the new shakers, the new trends, you know, the things that are going to put Portland on the map. It's not actually an objective look at quality of product and service. Um, and the only person who's tried to do that is Michael Russell, uh, where he has that, you know, the 50 best uh, restaurants in Portland, where he year after year reassesses kind of the, the list writ large. And it's not just always this hot, 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 right? It's like, um, you know, but every, everybody else, I mean, Portland Monthly does, you know, the new things. The Eater Hot List is always the new things. And so most of the food writing is about the new things because that's what kind of gets clicks. Right. That's true. And therefore the, the ring sides of the world get hurt because they've been there for 75 years. There's no, there's sometimes some news there, but... You know, to have a list with 10 food carts and not ringside, I think is 
Yeah, I but let's all pray that we get. I, we, I'd like all of my restaurants to have uh, uh, ringside problems of you know being busy every night for seventy years. You know, in the hope uh, every every restaurant tour's dream is to have an institution like ringside. You know, and I and I think a place like St. Jack can get there. I think a place like Ox can get there. I think Lardo can get there. You know, I think we have um, partners that can have brands that that survive with Portland for a really long time. And that's the dream, right? Because there's a point at which you just are in that groove and people want to come there to experience that legacy excellence. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the goal. And I think part of the, the tragedy to loop us back into COVID is that Portland had places like that that went away. You know, Toro Bravo was one of those places. Uh, Tasty, uh, Tasty and Alder was one of those places. Pock Pock was one of those places. You know, and now uh, a place that could have been around for 40 or 50 years is gone. So, you know, that that in, in that sense is more of a tragedy than, um, you know, than losing some other places. We, we had, you know, we had to close down a place called Bar King that was open for five days yeah. before, the, you know. So it's a tragedy on the human level that these wonderful people came here and we and it didn't work. But right from the like the social fabric of portland losing pock pock is is a huge loss i mm-hmm. mean you know it 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 was what spurred the growth on division you well know? it also was it the city some of the people who aren't necessarily paying attention but it was good for the city to get pock pock on international maps yeah. Uh, as to, you know, that's where someone should go and some things are being done in Portland that aren't being done elsewhere. So uh, pre-pandemic, 50, over 50% of all people that traveled to Portland cited food as the number one reason. It was by far the leading reason that people cited for coming to Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and more so than the mountains, more so than wine, more so than beer, the food scene was the number one driver by far of Portland tourism. And it really captured the attention of the of the country, and you know, and Pock Pock was front and center on that, and um, and so you know, it's just that that's that's a loss that will look. There's lots of things happening now that are really exciting, um, and I've been so busy I can't even go out and experience a lot of these new places, um, and you know, hopefully once things calm down and my wife is willing to go in eat indoors again, you know, we can go experience it. But it's. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a real it's a real loss for the city, but also Portland has a good way of kind of reinventing itself after yeah, these collapses. Uh, right. Well, and you've also got the Ritz Carlton coming in, and some oh, other, thank you know, God. hotels have to reopen. But I mean, there's going to be a tourist industry again. It's got it's got to happen. So, yeah, uh, but it's you know, but the, the city needs to clean up. You know well, the the yeah. highlights of Proud Boys and in Antifa fighting on you know. Uh, NATO Parkway have to go away. You know, we have to we have to stop being in this terrible cycle of terrible PR, right. um, so that it doesn't feel like a risky place to go to. I mean, that's so dumb. Right. You know, I I agree, and we need a major league baseball team. That's my that would help. My yeah, that'll help. So listen, <laughs> I sincerely appreciate. Uh, I know how busy you are. You've alluded to it many of time many times. So I appreciate your taking the time. One okay. last question. Yeah. Uh, you took a beautiful trip with your daughter. Or do you have anything planned to just chill out in the uh, to, to look forward to? Uh, not 
right away. Uh, but I am um, actively planning uh, to, uh, I'm going to try to do like a six-month sabbatical in 2023. Um, so my plan, my hope is to move back to France uh, in June of 23 after my stepson graduates from high school and to live there and kind of work remotely um, in, through the holidays and then come back. Um, and my daughter's in French-American school, so we put her in school there and live down in the Basque region of France. That's what I want to do. So that's what I'm, a lot of my folk energy is focused on trying to make that happen. Um, and that corresponds with the Rugby World Cup in France uh, in the summer of 2023, which would be unbelievable to go back there where I played rugby and to be able to you know, watch the World Cup would just be unbelievable. So that is what, I got a year and a half to make that happen. Uh, a year I, more. I got a year I, and nine months to make that happen. <laughs> I have a feeling you're not going to let that. Uh, you're, you're, that's not going to lose your top of mind consciousness. So no, uh, no, so, that's a uh, I wish you well in that. We'll look forward to that, and I hope we catch up here before that. But also, yes, if we can all just go out and grab a bite. That's been a long time since you and I have had a bite. So yeah, I love that. Hope yeah. we can do that sometime. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let you know if they bring me back down to Gearheart to look at things. I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. Uh, do you ever get up to Astoria? There's some good places yes. up there now. Yeah, actually, when we were at Gearheart, we drove up to uh, eat it in Astoria. Good. Um, Have you seen the Bowline yeah. Hotel? No. Okay. I, 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 love, I love Astoria. It's such an awesome town, and I, I so rarely get to the Oregon coast, but, um, you know, it's, it's so beautiful up there. Um, I'd love to get back. And my and my wife hadn't been to the Oregon coast in a long time. She had an awesome time last time. So I'm hopeful that I can kind of convince her to get up there more often. I think everybody should have a prescription who lives in Portland of the Oregon coast at least a few times a year. Just yeah. to get out and chill. It's been, for me, living out here eight years now, by the way, Yeah, uh, has been a done wonders for my mental and physical health. Yeah. So, no one would look at me and say, wow, that really has done wonders for you. <laughs> but it has. There's, there's been a lot of pound, pounds dropped. And uh, anyway, I feel better. So thanks so much, Kurt. Yeah, of course. Uh, really nice talking to you, Chris. Yeah, always good talking to you. I'm, you know, I'm, two things. I'm glad I have this podcast because I get to catch up with you. It would be very difficult to track you down and say, let's have an hour conversation. Yes. And uh, secondly, I'm really glad I asked you about your... Um, your plans and we heard about France. I think that is really cool. Oh, yeah, that would be epic. Man, that, that region down there is just unbelievable. It's just, just north of San Sebastian. Right. Well, I got to spend a little time there courtesy of uh, Vitaly and Kate Hill. Yeah. You know Kate? Yeah. So I went to the this beautiful castle around there. And, of course, there's the Saint-Emilion uh, wine region where there's a... There's a a winery called Angelus, which I've been curious about my whole life, oh. and literally stopped the car with my son and said, hey, I, th I think we're in this region where Angelus wines is. Let's take a look. And I pulled up my Google Maps. We were a mile and a half away when I said that. So it was, it was really cool. I, I wasn't able to pack my suitcase with $500 bottles of wine, however. <laughs> maybe someday. Maybe you can do that. So. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. When I moved back from France the first time, I brought back a, a thousand bottles of wine. A that thousand. Was, a thousand, yeah, because we had a brewery, 
and all the brewer, all the wine guys in France love. No, nobody's making craft beer, right? In the '90s, and so you know, so we would do trades. I would give them like a 12 pack of beer, and they'd give me six bottles of wine, and they were so excited. And I was so excited, it felt like the best trade ever, right? That's the beautiful like, exchange rate because wine is so much less expensive there. Oh, yeah. Such, and it was just, and, and you know, we develop relationships and you get really special bottles. And I would try to always make sure that they got special. I mean, it was so, uh, and I had this collection I put together almost exclusively on trade, you know, and I, it was so meaningful to me. And so I brought it back and slowly drank it over 10 years. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I don't plan to do that the next time I go, <laughs> well, I'm going to travel later. Yeah, I would, I would hope so. Well, uh, all right. Good luck with that. Good luck with everything. And I'm looking forward to, uh, trying Tasty. It was always one of my favorite places. And as a matter of fact, March 1st for my son's birthday, 2020, we went to Tasty and Daughters. And if you would have said in two weeks, this is going to be closed, never to open again in this form. Yeah, no way. You, you wouldn't have believed it. So no. Oh, well, I'm glad you did, and uh, right, good we'll luck. Stay out of the Gorms when you talk to them. I will. I hope. I hope right. I make it down there this weekend. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Bye. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX, or on Facebook at Right at the Fork, or online at RightAtTheFork.com. dot